Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Yeah, I am excited to see the snow. I love it. I was also excited when I got up this morning and realized it hadn't snowed a lot in the last like five hours, which means that we could be here. But for those of you guys um, who are online, we're just excited to have you with us there. I hope that that missing stage lights doesn't make it too, you know, campfire-ish, you know, if I've got like the (laughs) talking into a flashlight to you guys today. Um, But we're going to start today with our Christmas message. Next week, we'll be doing a Christmas carols. We'll be doing a a short Christmas message. It'll be 1030, like you said. If you have young kids, you guys will be up at like five anyway, and by then you'll be looking for something to do. Um, The grown-ups who thought about sleeping in, we did extend it one extra hour. Um, Romans chapter 15, 13. I feel like I could read this book, drop, or read this verse, drop the mic and be done. But listen what it says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. There is so much being said in this verse. It's the Christmas season. What do we think of? Joy, peace, hope. In fact, 1 Corinthians tells us that there are three things that will endure. Faith, hope, and love. Hope is Key. Let's go back and read that verse again. It says, may the God of hope fill you with joy. How many want to be full of joy? And peace as you trust. So it's going to take something on our part to be filled with that joy and peace. We're going to have to trust in him so that you may overflow I like that word. Like, don't you want to be someone who overflows with something pleasant? Not not overflows bitterness, not overflows complaints, not overflows despair, but overflows with hope. And then we we learned that it's going to take something on our part, but also it says, by the power of of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do this entirely on our own. This is the definition of hope. Hope is an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respects to events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large. As a verb, its definitions include expect with confidence, and to cherish a desire with anticipation. Hope is a perspective, an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life. I love how it says, or the world at large. When, when I it was a missionary in Mexico, every time you would pull up to a stoplight, well, not every time, but many, there were always 
quite a few of the stoplights, there would be someone selling newspapers at the stoplight. And if you had your money ready, you could roll down your window and you could purchase a, a, a newspaper or a tabloid before the light turned green. And there was a particular um, tabloid that was just, they canvassed the stoplights. And every time, like almost every day, there would be some like very gruesome notice. You know, man found dead, family slaughter, like all of this just very negative, very gory stuff. And one day, I met somebody who was a family member of one of our church members, and he, was, he came to the church, and I'm like, oh, what do you do? And he's like, well, I'm a graphic designer for, and then he listed the newspaper. I said, oh, that's interesting. He's like, yeah, I'm the one that adds the blood to all of those pages. That was literally what he told me his job was. He said, the, the, the pictures that we get aren't graphic enough, usually, so they have me Photoshop more gruesomeness into the, because more people would buy it. And I, I just remember, and now, you and I are blessed that we don't have that being put in our face every morning, but when you turn on the news, what percentage of it is, guess what good thing is about to happen? <laughs> we chuckle because it's not a high percentage. We are to trust in him. Hope comes from an expectation of a positive outcome. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We, as Christians, when we, tr when we trust in him, what we're doing is we are being confident that he will finish. The, the, one of the devil's favorite lies is nothing is going to get better than it is right now. This right now, he takes a snapshot of something negative and he says, this is, this is today, can't, you can't deny it, and this is what forever is going to be like. How many of you remember reading in the Old Testament the stories of the Israelites? Did you ever do like I did and think that you could have done better? I, I was always in shock of how the Israelites experienced the ten plagues like miracle after miracle after miracle because the ten plagues were happening to the Egyptians but they weren't happening to the, the Hebrews. So the Israelites were receiving like miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And then they were led out, given. The Bible says that the people of Egypt just loaded them with treasure. So they went from being slaves, witnessing all of these miracles, getting just showered with gold and treasure and riches, and then sent on their way. And as soon as they got to the Red Sea, they said, to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out in the desert to die? Like, as soon as they hit something difficult, they immediately thought, well, this was the goal. This is how it's going to end. This is how it's going to be forever. There was no 
hope. They immediately believe. But what does scripture say? It says that we should be confident that he who began a work is faithful and just to complete it or carry it on to completion, as that translation says, until the day of Christ Jesus. How long is God continuing to complete the work? Until Jesus comes back. And when Jesus comes back, wow, we have got something amazing to look forward to. That picture of everything is exact, the way things are in this moment is the way things are going to be. It reminded me of the quote by Warren Buffett. How many of you guys know who Warren Buffett is? One of the richest people in the world, famous for his ability to invest well. And this is what he said. He said, be fearful when others are greedy and get greedy when others are fearful. What he meant was, this was his advice about when to buy and to sell. He said, when everything looks great and everybody's buying and prices are at their highest, that's when you ought to be a little reluctant. But when the market goes down and everybody is selling like crazy, that's when you should buy. And you know why it works? Because most people can't imagine a future different than the present. And so when we look and we see that markets are going up, we all imagine it's easy as a human race is what I'm saying, not trying to diss your particular investment strategies. But the majority of us look and say, well, if, if it's good today, it's going to keep being good. And then as soon as the market takes a dip, people go and get rid of, they, they sell, sell, sell. In, when, when COVID hit and the market dropped, tons of people just sold. And so the market dropped even further. Like we had, we bought a house the week that COVID like the lockdowns happened. We were the first people to settle in the title company that day. And so we had just sold a home right then. And I remember my wife and I, we were like, this is so exciting. Because everything was down and we just sold a house so we had a piece of money that we could put in. Why? Because everyone was looking around saying, it's bad, therefore... It's going to be bad forever. But what we realized is it's not going to be bad forever. It's going to go back up. And that mindset is what the devil wants to give us in our lives. He says, look at your situation, wherever it's at, whatever it's at, it's not going to get better. Psalms 147 says, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Where is my hope? My hope is in my confidence that the love of God is unfailing. Proverbs 23, 18 says, there is surely a future for you and your hope will not be cut off. 
Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures and encouragement they provide, we might have hope. The Bible was written to teach us something, to encourage us that through endurance... Now, we all raised our hand when we said we loved the word joy. How many want joy? How many want peace? How many want endurance? We're a little bit less excited about it because we recognize endurance requires something to endure. Like, I want peace. I want joy. And if I have to have endurance, I hope I can get through it as quick as possible. But it means that there will be something to endure. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What we fear, what we don't want, is to grow weary in the difficult times. To lose that confidence that God is working and something better is coming. The Bible says those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. When, when we begin to get discouraged, when we begin to despair, I, I looked, I, I read you the definition of hope. And despair is the opposite of hope. And I thought, I wonder what the definition of despair is. And I went looking, and it just said the absence of hope. And I I thought it was going to say more, but as I got to think about it, I was like, you know, it's like, what is darkness? Darkness is the absence of light. It really isn't something of its own. It's just when light isn't there. Despair is when hope is lost. Despair is when you don't trust that God is continuing to work and that there's anything worth looking forward to coming. Romans 12, 12 says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. There's a word we weren't excited about. And faithful in prayer. Patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. Jesus Realize, when Jesus came, he's the hope of the world. But do you realize he came at a very dark time in history? Politically, Caesar was reigning with a, they they say, with an iron hand. He was was controlling of that area. Politically, it was oppressive. Over half of humanity was in some sort of slavery or bond servanthood. Like he arrived at a time when life was challenging. But he brought hope. 
1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Hope doesn't just land. You don't just Hope has a reason. Jesus Christ is that reason. His promises, his redemption is that reason. Let's see, where did I get to? For everything is written. I totally lost my place. This doesn't happen often, but I totally lost it. There we go. Prepared to give a reason. First Timothy. 410, that is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. We have hope in a living God because we believe in what he said. We believe that he came. We believe that he died on the cross and forgave our sin. We recognize that our guilt is gone. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Our hope is rooted in our ability to set our minds on him. Not on earthly things. I love, one of my favorite sports is mountain biking. And I went recently with someone and we were, we were zipping through and it was kind of their first time. They were beginning to, to go and they kept like right away, missed several like ran into some things and, and I had to tell them, I said, you're looking at what you don't want to hit. You're looking at the, the pothole and the root and the tree stump and so you're hitting it. You have to look at where you want to go. If you look at where you want to go, that's where you'll end up. But when you focus on where you don't want to be, that's where you'll end up. It reminds me of of a time when, when I was younger, we went, as a family, we went out west and we were camping and we brought our mountain bikes and there was this trail that followed this river and this river was not like a deep, you know, cliff jumping river. This was like a shallow bubbling brook and the rocks and, you know, you couldn't really jump in and swim. It was just the trout stream. And there was a spot where the trail went up and there was a cliff and then it was maybe 20 feet. My dad remembers it as more like 30 feet. I remember it as more like 20 feet. But, you know, two stories up, there was a spot where the trail narrowed and the cliff went down and then the cliff continued up and there was like a ledge that was just wide enough to walk on or to ride your bike on. And it was near our campsite, so I had gone through that section a number of times and I would ride my bike and there was a spot in the trail where a little pine tree grew out, like it just kind of stuck out and up, and you had to go between the pine tree and the, the cliff that continued up, and below was you know, the cliff and then the, the trout stream. And my dad was down there fishing 
below there. And I came riding through like I had done like mm, half a dozen at least, if not more, times. I would ride my bike. It would narrow. I would go between the tree and, and there, and then I would continue on. But this time, instead of watching where I needed to go, I was amused by the fact that my father was down there fishing. And so I'm watching him and suddenly realized that the tree was on my left. I had just gone right off the edge. My dad is witness to this happening. I reached out and caught a branch from that tree and locked my legs into the triangle of my bike and caught myself. And then when I went to reach up and grab, my, the branch broke and I came down and there was a root sticking out right there that I caught with my hand. Still with my bike between my legs and my dad was down there just fishing. I pulled myself back up and, and, and kept going. My dad's comment to me later was, almost had to scrape you off the rocks there, didn't I? And then he said, if you get injured, you'll have to pay for the hospital. He thought that if I, was, I would be motivated by you know, potential financial loss more than physical pain. Um, I tell that story because it illustrates that we go where our focus is. We go to where our focus is. Psalms 147.11, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Where is our focus? Are we focused on whatever the, cir the circumstances currently are and our confidence that they will never change? Or do we have hope that God is working and that he is and has unfailing love? Proverbs 23, 18, there is surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. Since then, Colossians 3, 1, 2, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are not earthly things. Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. If we compare our current situation to what we know God is bringing, what do we know? Revelation 21.4 says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Even, even if things aren't going to be better by tomorrow or the following day or the following week, we still have a future to look forward to where Jesus will wipe every tear from every eye. They have done studies many times with, with prisoners of war and said what, what was in common with those who, who endured the, the conditions and survived because many people in these camps would just die of despair. And they said the difference was those who held out hope. They literally said, hope 
could, would keep them alive. Those who believed, they said it wasn't optimism. This was the interesting part. They said the, the optimist tended to despair because they would say, well, surely we'll be out by, and then they'd set a date. I'll be out by Thanksgiving. I'll be out by Christmas. I'll be out by January. I'll be out by, you know, and they would set this time. They were so optimistic. And then when that came, but they said it was those who had a enduring hope, a confidence. You know what? It might not be by Christmas. I hope it's by Christmas, but it might not be by Christmas. Eventually, I will be rescued. You, you can lose your house, lose your money, lose your wife, lose your husband. Many things can happen to a person that are horrible, unthinkable. But if they have hope, they can begin again. If they have hope, they can endure and continue. Many people lose things and keep their hope. Others lose nothing but their hope and despair. There is no situation so good that despair is impossible. I'm going to say that again. There's no situation so good that despair is impossible. Walk by the tabloids sometime. You've got pictures of all of these rich people. They have fame. They have money. They, whatever they want, they can buy. Are they all totally happy and joyous? Not at all. You hear about celebrities who had all the fame and all the riches who commit suicide. They were despairing. I don't know if you've ever been to a, to a third world country, but it's very common for people who have, have never visited a third world country to go and experience culture shock. How many of you have ever experienced culture shock before? One of the things that tends to shock people is when you go to a place that doesn't have the things that you have and you discover that there's joy there anyway. And people come back. I cannot tell you how many times on mission trips people have come back and they said, man, I am so, I, I couldn't believe how happy the kids were that were living in that dump. Or how, be, why? Because we subconsciously thought that our circumstances were our source of joy. And when we discover that all the things I thought made me happy were absent and someone was happy anyway, it's like tilt. It's like, wait a minute. If I lost those things, if I went from the state that I'm currently in to the state that they're in, I would despair. If I went from having what I have to having what they have, I would be just a wreck. But what they have isn't enough that to, to put them in despair. They're happy. Why? Because it isn't 
what they have. It's the capacity to hope. It's the capacity to hope. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. When he says the ancients, he's talking about the Old Testament saints. The Bible says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for. How are we saved? By faith. We received forgiveness, we received salvation by faith in what God has promised, a confidence, a hope of what is to come, an eternal perspective. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18 says, so we do not lose heart. Through Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. God says, even though circumstances might be unideal, we have hope. Jesus came to the world. He was born in a manger, and he brought a confidence, a a reason to be confident that we are forgiven, that our future is is hopeful. We have something. This momentary, whatever we're dealing with, Scripture describes as a momentary affliction. And that we are being prepared for an eternal weight of glory. This week, I attended a funeral on Friday. Ben Reynolds, many of you may remember Ken Reynolds, who was uh, the music leader in Granville. It's his father. He passed away. Um, brought before, before he died, he brought in all of his kids and grandkids. They knew that he, his, his health was on the edge. He brought them all in. He blessed each and every one of them. And then he passed. And they had the funeral on Friday. And there there was a sadness that we wouldn't see him again soon. But his family got up and they sang together. And they sound like a professional choir when just his kids and grandkids get together. It's just, wow. And I'm reminded of 1 Thessalonians 4.13. It says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe 
that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And again, fallen asleep is referring to died. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep or died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, who we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What does that mean? He says, encourage Remind people that he who started a work is faithful and just to complete it in us. When we look at the the, the manger and we see that Jesus came, our hope and excitement isn't just in there once was a baby, but it's it's in the understanding of, of what his arrival meant and what it does for the future for our future, for everyone's future. The Bible says hope will endure. He says don't don't be like the rest of the world that does not have hope. First John 5 13 through 14 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. How many of you know you have eternal life? Raise your hand. You know it. The Bible says he wrote this, his coming, and the scriptures are so that we will know. He wants us to be confident regarding eternal life. If you're watching today, thank you. Are you confident that you have eternal life? Do you know? And then he says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now that, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands in front of everybody, but I want you to think about how you would answer. Yeah, you know you have eternal life, but are you confident that God is listening when you pray? Do you believe that what you say in prayer reaches God, he hears it, and he cares? That he puts into action the answers to your prayer? The Bible says that it is through faith that we receive it. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith requires a confident expectation of what is to come. When we do not trust that he hears us, that we, when we do not trust that he is working on it, that hampers his work on it. Let's read this again. 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. For most of us, we know that. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's my next question. Do you trust that God is listening and acting on what you are asking of him? We have talked about asking according to his will, the so that prayers. When we pray, hey, God, I ask for this or that so that I can complete what you have called me to do. When we pray that way, God is listening. Do you believe it? Or has the devil convinced you that God is done answering your prayers? He's done everything that he's going to do already. And if it didn't work yet, it's not going to ever. No. God has called us to have hope, confidence. First Peter 1, 3 through 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to, we were saved from, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials." Let's just listen to that again. For though now, for a little while. For how long? A little while. A little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As we said a minute ago, if you know that you have salvation, I am so happy for you. If you don't know that, that is step one. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. 